0: Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. Vitreo is a national agency focused on encouraging bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, we will be speaking with Ron Bailey, a well-known fundraiser in Winnipeg. We will also be joined by Brian Bowman from St. Polytechnic in Calgary and Scott Dexheimer, one of my partners at Vitreo. Today's topics will include fundraising themes, memes, and trends for 2017, as well as a discussion on recent news in philanthropy and fundraising. It's all coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo.
1: We've got a terrific panel with us today, starting with Ron Bailey. I've known Ron for a number of years, and recently I've gotten to know him even better with our work on the AFP Canada Foundation. I feel privileged to call Ron a friend, and we're very happy to have Ron on our show. Ron lives and works in Winnipeg as a fundraising consultant. I think it's fair to say that Ron is very excited that we're doing a podcast. We're excited to have him join us. Ron, I'm wondering if you uh, wouldn't mind just Uh, sharing uh, uh, some of the things that you talked about with respect to why do you think podcasts are a great great way to share information and ideas today?
2: Well, good morning, uh, Vincent. You know, I do think podcasts are a fabulous tool. I've used them for quite a while um, and find that the beauty for me is that I can listen on demand when I have some time. Um, I can go back. It's sort of like they're nicely filed on topics and so on you can share them with others very simply uh, electronically and uh, they often spark ideas that uh in conversations that you don't always get off of print um print is very valuable for sharing information but sometimes it's the conversation that allows you to really get into a uh, a topic and hear people bring up things that might get edited out, out of a print piece because of just the flow of it so i really love podcasts and uh there's, it's unlimited what we can do with them. So I, I really congratulate uh, Betrayal and you folks uh, deciding to take this initiative. I think it's uh, a great opportunity uh, for yourselves, but also really important for philanthropy and the development uh, uh, folks in Canada, people on the consulting side as well as those who are direct practitioners, uh, whatever stage they're at, to, uh, to get experience. So good on you.
1: Well, thanks, Ron. Well, Welcome. Also joining us is Brian Bowman. Brian's a longtime friend and, and fellow fundraiser. He's currently the Director of Alumni and Development at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. He has most recently served on the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education, CASE, District 8 Board, and he also happens to be an accomplished singer. Brian, but I am curious though, are they still calling it State Polytechnic?
3: Oh, Vincent, that's a great question. Uh, no, actually, we've lost the, uh, the, the use of the word polytechnic. So we're standing out with, uh, the acronym SATE, which has become well known in the community, and that's, uh, really what we're putting out with our new brand, which we just launched, uh, oh, six months ago or so.
1: Yeah, I checked, I checked it against your LinkedIn profile to see whether it was spelled all out or if the State Polytechnic was still there, so clearly you've moved beyond that. So, and let thanks. me just correct
3: something. I, and I'm actually not a singer. Um, my, <laughs> my what do I, program, I know? It, well, yeah, I mean, you would think that I am because I actually, have, yeah, I, I've established a, an arts organization uh, that is actually a choir and, and focused on singing, but actually my musical uh, chops are on the piano, but that has transferred into my ability to pumple uh, well, um, my so way through as a, a pseudo singer. yeah. <laughs>
1: I I translated those musical chops across all the (laughs) spectrums. And and because you're so involved with choral music, I I, I just assumed I should have known that. Well, thanks, Brian. Welcome. Um, Rounding out our panel today, uh, we've we've got Scott Dexheimer. Scott, another longtime friend and colleague. He's also one of my business partners at uh, at the Treo. But even more importantly, today, I've got a bit of an announcement, a, a scoop. I'm pleased to announce... For, for the first time anywhere, I think publicly that, that Scott Dexheimer has uh, has accepted the role as the inaugural chair of the newly constituted AFP Canada. Uh, Scott, do you want to you know want to share a little bit more about what that means for you and and for Canadian fundraisers and and whether I I also got some information wrong there?
4: Well, I think we're I think what we've known is that the profession has continued to grow and expand across the country, and as part of that evolution uh has decided to form uh, its a a body in Canada that's going to help lead the profession across this country and and I think it's an exciting move that's made it's 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 part of a uh, response to the growth and excitement that the that Canada has for this profession and I think it's a testament to the work that fundraisers are doing uh people are seeing this as a as a profession that people want to be involved in they want it to grow they want to learn they want to get gather more research and so having a body in Canada to really focus on on the professionals is going to be critically important. So uh, it means a lot to me to, to be the inaugural chair, but uh, this is the work of, of hundreds, of, if not thousands, of people uh, that have went before us that have helped this to form uh, for this day.
2: Congratulations, Scott.
4: Yeah, I'm, congratulations,
2: I'm, Scott. I'm, I'm very thrilled that you're taking this on. Uh, this is absolutely the best news I've had this morning. Uh, so You've made my day. <laughs> Terrific. Good for you. I, I,
1: Did we actually provide skills, you?
2: Well, you know, the, the, his leadership skills are really good, and that's what the sector needs, you know, common sense and uh, a nose to the grindstone. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, very good. That's really good news, Scott. Good for you taking on that leadership.
1: Congratulations, Scott. I'm really proud to uh, to call you uh, one of my partners, and, and your leadership is going to be fantastic for the sector. I just want to underscore um and maybe maybe you can help uh, folks understand that this is actually I think the first time that we actually have had a formal uh legal entity um that that will represent Canadian fundraisers in Canada is that is that right
4: as a as a collective uh yes uh, there's okay. there's of course been the the AFP Canada Foundation which we've yep. all many of us have been involved with uh, and several chapters that have done amazing work, but I think uh, one that represents the entire profession. Uh, this will be the first time, and and really, really addressing the needs of, of Canadians first.
1: Great. So, can you get us good tickets?
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: to whatever,
1: to any AFT event? Can we? Yeah, we got an in because we know you
4: i there there are ways to make a gift to the foundation to always get good tickets for sure oh, okay. oh,
2: <laughs> bingo there we go good okay. fundraiser good fundraiser <laughs> well
1: thank you all scott thanks for for being here Thank you all for joining our first ever podcast i uh you know right we're two months, two, two, two months into two months into two thousand seventeen and and we're we're still arguably uh in the midst of an economic downturn in Canada. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Donald Trump south of us as President of the United States, and we're on the cusp of, of having robots tell us what to do and how to do it. Um, I mean, against this backdrop, and specific to fundraising, what, is, what does 2017 hold for us? What are the what are the trends? Uh, what are the themes that we can expect? Um, you know, maybe I'll 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 uh, I'll turn to you first, Ron. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you've got some ideas or thoughts, and uh, have others chime in as we go.
2: I think uh a couple things. First is that I think that there's uh more of a focus on sort of the big changes going on around us has people unfortunately I think going to start turning a little more inwards both in their own personal lives as well as to the philanthropy that they support. Um, I'm concerned that that may mean international charities uh, and those who are not as seen as quote-unquote sexy uh, might suffer in that, and that um, the eco- the, that combined with the economy as well as just sort of the mindset that's going on around uh, leads me to be concerned about that, um, and that may show up in ways that people volunteer, that may show up in their philanthropy, uh, that may show up in whether they're willing to uh, sign a petition or do other things. Now, I... I uh, I'm of a certain age where, uh, maybe I'm, you know, in my mid-sixties and maybe that is something that I see in my sort of stage in life and with colleagues and friends. I don't know that that would apply to my daughter or to, you know, to younger people, but I'm just, you know, making that kind of as a thought. I think there's, on the other side with Trump, I think there's a lot of fear and I think there's a lot of air being blown into that. And I think, yes, there are some things that he may be talking about which a lot of people find unpalatable, but I think people in Canada have to remember that we're on the other side of that border, and we can learn from some of that anger and frustration and try and present a more hopeful message, but, you know, that's difficult in a, in a small sector that doesn't have a lot of, uh, always have a lot of marketing power up against big media and big stories like that, but that's kind of a, a couple of, of thoughts that I had uh, uh, around that. Um,
3: well, thanks, Mike.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Sir, was someone weighing in there?
2: Well, I was just going to say also on the economy, I think it depends on where you live. Um, you know, in Alberta, we know that uh, there's challenges, and but there's other parts of the country where it's not as bad, or they, they haven't had it as tough. So, I think um, uh, that's pocket by pocket, in, if I could put it that way. So. What's it like in Manitoba? I think uh the economy here is is different than in a lot of other places because it's it's very much more diversified and it's less boom bust. So, you know, once again, Manitoba was uh, you know had the highest number of of uh donors per capita when you looked at the number of uh, filers on the CRA data and so on. And that has been, you know, the sit- situation for many many years. Uh we have a fairly diverse economy which hasn't had the same kinds of of uh <laughs> mood swings or economic swings that you see in other parts of the country. On the on the other side of that is um, the the economy um, is very focused, or a lot of it is more public sector than maybe other parts of the country, although there's a good manufacturing agricultural base here. So if there are um, reductions in public sector spending, that will have some spins uh, in terms of philanthropy and so on. But uh, generally it's not a bad economy. It's a pretty good economy here.
1: Okay, thanks. Brian, what are your thoughts on 2017? What does it hold for us?
3: Oh, man. I, I mean, fundraising in the, the 21st century is an interesting uh, prospect for sure. And of course, in Calgary, where the economy and um, government are both you know hugely impacted by the downturn in the price of oil, uh, it becomes more and more challenging. We have relied heavily and been very uh, well supported through the generosity of corporations here, most of whom uh trade in the oil and gas sector. So they're very challenged to maintain levels of giving and while many of them I think have honored their commitments, um, it's very difficult to justify spending money, you know, on charitable court causes while at the same time laying off Um, So there's a huge amount of sort of that struggle, I think, going on inside of the corporate community in terms of recognizing what their obligations are in the community while at the same time justifying that with uh, the bottom line. So lots of shifting of that. The the biggest area where I think that's impacted uh, is, is sponsorship. I think, you know, in general terms, philanthropic giving or corporate giving, um, you know, is is still available and we have certainly benefited from some of that. But where we've seen a significant decline is on uh the number of times that we have to go out and ask for sponsorship for um you know we've just celebrated centennial and I'll use that example and say that I would say you know we're at about a three to one ask ratio, so the number of asks that we have to make in order to receive uh support has increased dramatically just because of of that, and I would say the dollar amounts are probably uh, lower as well. Um, but there are many pockets I think in in 2017 that that we have to take a look at as being opportunities. And um, you know, to read that in the next oh, not that long, eight years or so, be- by 2025, there's 750 billion dollars um, of wealth that is going to be transferred from one generation to another. Um, and so, you know, when we start to look at, you know, the, the demographic groups and the baby boomers and all of these kinds of things, I think, you know, identifying where those pockets of opportunity are, um, certainly on the corporate side, we're seeing constraints, but, uh, many individuals continue to do well. Um, a poor economy often provides, I think, um, an excuse as to why not to support charity. We've seen, um, that uh, that be the case with uh, some of our annual fund uh, giving and solicitation, uh, but there are other areas where I think you know, given uh, the circumstances and the need and the urgency um, that exists in the community, there's still pockets of opportunity that we have to uh, pursue and, and uh, will support us.
1: Okay, that 750 billion dollar number. Um, I remember when I first started in fundraising over 20 years ago. Um, there was, you know, that conversation about whether it was billions or trillions of dollars that was going to flow down from this generation ahead of us. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I mean, the numbers penciled out, but I, I'm not sure if the activity did. I'm, I'm curious around the table if anybody has any thoughts on whether that number is. is, uh, is, is I, I, I've heard the number. It's a valid number, but I'm just curious about what people think about whether it's actually something that will flow to philanthropy and charity.
3: Well,
4: it's, a, it's an interesting challenge that we've got in this case because right now a lot of the trend is much less around organizational support than than it is around mm-hmm. causal support. Mm-hmm. And and as people start thinking about causes, uh, and then they start thinking about their bequest plans, it's how an organization um, can can connect enough with donors to have them be the specified legal organization that's connected to that money and i think it's it's going to be a bit of an ongoing challenge as organizations are trying to fit into this new world of cause uh and 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 create the brand that's strong enough that's going to be able to compel or encourage people to make that gift that's going to be meaningful so it's a So a, Scott you know, are
1: you are you saying that the trend is that um folks are focusing more on giving to causes than to organizations?
4: Well, i think you're you're seeing a lot more around mental health in general um healthcare international um i think there's a, a as as the the millennial generation is taking hold and i think the facebook and other other areas are causing i would say a, we're skimming off the top of of organizations uh we're starting to market far more into the cause than than what what we did even 15 years ago was try to build um build the relationship with the organization i think it's harder now on some of those people that are more like drive-bys of the organization and making a gift and, and trying to get them into a relationship because relationships are never a bad thing. And so, you know, and our, and our new competition as well is is corporations. It's, it's these big companies that are, are attaching themselves to a cause and 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 have a marketing budget and, and an ability to position and buy position in the market that a lot of times charities can't make or are will, are less willing to make in terms of an investment in terms of marketing dollars. So I think there's going to be a bit of a transition over the next while.
1: Uh, that's a big shift. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, oh, my
3: that, uh, comment was going to be around the line of, um, you know, the fact that that money is, is transferring between generations, but I do think that there is a sense of, uh, families wanting to participate in, uh, giving back in philanthropy, that, you know, philanthropy is learned behavior, and, and parents and, mm-hmm. and their children and whatnot sometimes, and, and I think increasingly want to be involved in those decision processes together. It's part of their family structure and, and part of what makes them, um, you know, feel like, uh, they're, they're giving back to the community. So I think there's an opportunity inside of that. And I don't disagree with, with Scott whatsoever. I think that's very true about the causal side. But again, you know, case, uh, you know, the case for support and what it is that your organization is doing to make a difference is going to be the, the reason that people support you versus someone else.
1: Well, and you're in a unique position to talk about that, Brian, because I, you know, Sate, over the last, Uh, decade or so has tried successfully, I would suggest, to move from um, predominantly corporate giving to at least a focus on some large individual gifts. Um, And so some of that will, I hope, pay off in terms of family philanthropy um, being taught. So that's a fantastic observation and, and something you're well positioned to talk
2: about.
3: Yeah, I mean, it certainly, you know, resonates. And I think increasingly, too, that, you know, the more astute philanthropists, those that you know, are, are really making philanthropy an active, uh, responsibility. Seek out organizations and opportunities that they wish to support with their philanthropy. So, you know, as much as we're marketing our cause and whatnot, and I'm talking about a, perhaps a small percentage of the total population, but, you know, th- there are those individuals of high net worth and, and who have the capacity to give significant gifts that, you know, they're not waiting for the opportunity to arrive. They are actually engaged in the, the organizations that they, and the causes that they wish to support. Um, and there's a huge opportunity. I, I'd, I'd point to, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates as a great example of that kind of passionate engagement whereby, um, you know, sitting on a, a massive amount of wealth, uh, with this very strong family commitment to giving that wealth back, not entitling their children. Um, but you know, rolling up their shirts, the, the, their shirt sleeves, and actually really being invested in the the change that they want to
2: make. And how do we bring that to? I don't know if it's everyday philanthropists, because that's where I think, um, you know, if you look at uh, articles about philanthropy and what motivated people, a lot of it came out of experience at going to church, and that mm-hmm. was their first uh, experience with philanthropy. Well, we have an environment where um, uh, going to church is is far less prevalent than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, and so my generation might have had much higher percentage of individual church going than uh, you know generations of who are in their 20s and 30s now. Um, and so, if that's where people were learning that uh, and becoming exposed to the value. Uh, "Quote unquote philanthropy," and we have declining attendance. How do we inspire the wider community to continue that and not simply take the billions or trillions that uh, Vincent was talking about and saying, "Well, that's great, but you know, a new cottage would be a great uh, a, a great investment for our family rather than um, a family fund to invest in in local philanthropy." And I, it's it's that mindset that I think you know one of the things and i'm sure I'm sure we've all seen it that we have more we have fewer people giving more, and so um if that's the trend um, we will narrow down the number of donors um, and also we'll have and getting back to Scott's point about uh, uh, corporate philanthropy and that corporate philanthropy or corporate sponsorships and marketing becoming a competitor um people may think I find that, that amazing that that we would be thinking may,
1: that way that we had now to have that. go people ahead
2: people may people may think that they they've, they've made their gift you know the 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 2 bucks uh, at the till was uh, kind of a gift and they you know they were engaged with philanthropy or somehow or they they made a gift they made a donation um I, I don't know research around that but i just get concerned that that that, that takes over look we've seen it in uh in uh, in fidelity and their monster uh, funds which they now control uh in terms of of um of of uh giving through through plan giving that's controlled uh, all through fidelity and uh mm-hmm. so you 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 have that kind of phenomena where you know people are are feeling they're engaged they're feeling they're doing something and it and but it's it's through a corporation and I'm not belittling that I'm not negative about it it's just how do we how do we help move people beyond that to say, look, uh, we can be doing thing, more things in our communities, and and there are a lot of people with wealth wealth to do that. Well, I
3: think it's fascinating. That,
4: the research is showing that millennials are 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 very interested in terms of cause marketing and are more inclined to make a gift mm-hmm. uh, because it feels good. And when you think about this bubble uh, of millennials coming through, you know, larger than than potentially the baby boomer population. Um, that's a the trends of this group will influence the, the people before and after them, and it's mm-hmm. it's a it's an interesting group for us to to monitor and be prepared for, and you know things like like be, being prepared on on mobile 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 all the time um, is is going to be going to be really critical uh, for us to to recognize where mm-hmm. these folks are going, um, but they're still not the largest donor group too. So we were I think mm-hmm. we're still monitoring this group to see how how they can shift, uh, how they shift support between organizations, um, but but do they? We've we've had a group in baby boomers that have had a really long attention span and cared for organizations for a very long time, be it their church, be it those organizations they support. Um, we've built our entire profession on that, and now we have this group that we're still trying to to understand, and I'll, I'll be I'll be fascinated to see how how this group continues to respond and react.
3: I, I just want to weigh on this too because I, I think it's fascinating, you know, the, the disruption that exists within so many different channels, and it, you know, fundraising. Good fundraising has always been sort of, you know, predicated on very organized, systematic sort of approaches. You know, you send X number of letters out per year, or do X number of phone calls at periods of time, and people respond to that. And right. that 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 the, there's so much disintermediation in the channel that. Uh, you know, everybody, and Ron, I think you, you referred to, you know, the, the convenience of podcasting to be able to listen to it when you want to. And the same is true about paying attention to, you know, charities and what their causes are when you want to and respond as is convenient and everything is becoming much more, you know, immediate. And, and the second thing that I am really fascinated by is the level to which um, I think millennials use or or view their philanthropy and even the philanthropy of the organizations they work for as part of their personal brand. Um, they adopt that brand and purchase those products and work for that company as extensions, I think, of what they view to be their, their identity. And uh, that's something for us to pay close attention to.
2: Yeah. And organizations need to be able to Respond here and now and not be mm-hmm. putting together a major uh, strategy about around a particular cause because if you are responding to a news item, for example, people coming across uh, the border south of, of Winnipeg walking through uh, the snowdrifts to, uh, to uh, leave the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, people aren't going to sit around and wait for a corporate case to be developed on how we're going to okay. respond to that. People look at the news. And they want to figure out, okay, I'm prepared to give you 50 bucks. How do I find you? And, and you have to be there. You have to be able to respond very quickly. Otherwise, and urgency you're
3: has always been the, yeah, urgency Absolutely. has always been the front of fundraising. So right. the more urgent the case and, and the more urgent the cause, <laughs> you yep. know, the more successful the fundraising will be.
2: Yeah. Here and now, philanthropy, you have to be nimble, you have to be quick, and you have to be, because otherwise you're not relevant. And if you're not relevant, uh, we've got a lot of, of organizations out there who who um, don't change, and they become irrelevant. And they have, and they, you see that in terms of the number of supporters, the difficulty in getting volunteers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they sort of grind to a halt. And
4: uh, uh, I think you've also just hit on a on a on a on a more important alignment now. That's 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 always been important, but now even more so is around corp, uh, communications and fundraising. And, yeah. and that that the urgency and the push of an organization, uh, when you start getting into the, the immediacy of efforts, uh, needs to be far more aligned than it ever has been before. Right. And 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 now the the impact of a of a tweet, uh, the impact of a of a key message at the right time, um, right. can help draw funds in that are going to help deliver the message and, and the cause. Right. At the end of the day, no right. longer <laughs> I think is it is it viable to always have communications um uh, to have communication separate from fundraising, which has been the yeah. case and is still the case in many organizations.
3: But the you know the timelines are so much shorter when you're starting to respond to those immediate needs. And you look at the news cycles today, you know, Donald Trump sends out a a, a tweet on Sunday night and, you know, it drives the entire news cycle for, for the next twenty four hours. And, and you know, where we would spend you know a couple of weeks reviewing a a, a solicitation letter or perfecting a <laughs> you know a, a cause. It's already or whatever.
2: Happened. It's already it, happened.
3: <laughs> absolutely. It's done. And and so we have to adapt to, you know, the, the speed at which, uh, you know, things are occurring. Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is that technology, as opposed to being, a, you know, competitive and whatnot, we have to embrace it, I think, much more so as um, a, a one of the tools in our toolbox. It's certainly not the be-all, end-all but you know, the complexity of fundraising today means we have all the traditional methods that we need to continue to support um, while we adapt to new technologies that help us to expand our reach and do do a better job of, of what we've been asked to do.
4: I knew you, this topic it's it's a it's a place where someone, a third party can tweet something and a charity can raise a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And right, that's happening right now that as, Absolutely. as a cause or a, or, a, or a group of people gets targeted, the yeah. spinoff is that it's creating, it's creating yeah. power in the organizations that are going against that and sometimes for that too, by the way. It's, right. it's, uh, it's on both sides of those that the fundraising power is occurring uh, by the power of those tweets. We, we sometimes only see the side we want to see in those. Uh,
1: I knew that this topic would have no shortage of thoughts from you three. So this yeah. is a fantastic uh, conversation. You know, Ron, I was looking, I was hoping that uh, throughout the conversation that one of us would nail the title for this episode, and I think you did it with the here and now philanthropy.
2: Right. So I
1: think episode one needs to be titled Here and Now Philanthropy. So th- well, thank you for that. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I'll,
2: I'll, I'll send you a bill. Uh, look yeah. at yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 the sad part is, that we get caught up in the, uh, f- f- you know, I think uh, Brian said it in terms of, you know, we've got to take this period of time to develop the letter and get it approved and move it along, et cetera, et cetera. And we get into these old ways of, we're not old, but these ways of doing things which have been very traditional and Thinking out of the box and being prepared to take a chance on uh, being ready to respond. When you see those folks coming across the border, um, yes, there was an appeal developed, but guess what? That's been going on for a month and a half in, in sort of the news. Last week, United Way of Winnipeg came out and said, we're putting together a fund around this. And two days later, one of the agencies which they fund called Welcome Place are saying, we're out here. We're trying to raise money around this. I guess I'd ask the question, what was going on for the six weeks before? And there probably were accepting funds around that, but but they hadn't been able, for whatever reasons, and it's certainly I'm not negative about, I think what they're doing is great, and I, I was delighted to send them send them a credit card uh, donation. But the point about it is, you have to be ready, and you have to be thinking about how, what can we do to be part of that news cycle and to be positioned as part of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you see... In the news, And I see this often with U.S. channels, maybe not as much in Canadian, but there's one channel in Minnesota who, when there's an issue going on, and by the way, if you'd like to make a donation, you, know, you can go onto our website and we'll link you to them. And it becomes their initiative to be, be seen as relevant and part of the community. Right, so, they're know, the cause. The outlet. They, become, they become the focal point for helping in the story. They're linking you to the particular charitable cause, but you 're going through their station 's website, good on them, glad they 're thinking about it, but we sh- we need to be looking at Canadian media to be able to do those kinds of things. Yes, we can send out a tweet, but you know uh, not everybody's going to get that tweet, not everybody's going to t- who might be interested in the cause. so we have to think about what are the other potential ways of partnering up and uh, and being able to respond that way so on the mental health issue, I think uh T D or one of the banks who's involved in that would say you could go to our website and that would link you into it. Okay. Um I I, I just think the sector has to look at other kinds of of partnerships around that and maybe it's on a sector uh, maybe it's on a cause basis like uh like Scott was talking about and sure if it's going to be around poverty, yeah there's these five organizations or whatever. You can't just pick one. But you know, whatever that is, we've got to figure out the sector has to figure out how do we partner up with folks so that people can respond who, who want to and make it easy.
1: Great point, Ron. Uh, Brian, you were going to weigh in with something, and then we're going to shift gears uh, uh, for, for the next part of the podcast and talk a little bit about the segues you guys all provided me around the news. So, Brian, you were going to say something?
3: Well, I mean, I think we've got great examples of, you know, in Canada, like Fort McMurray and the. The fire and, uh, you know, the flood yeah. and whatnot, whereby, you know, there was definitely a call to action and, um, media amplified that and there were means and opportunities by which to give. And I think the Red Cross, you know, had an astounding response. Um, and urgency again, you know, drove, drove the cause. And I don't think that, you know, the electronic media and, and reaching out in that is, is necessarily appropriate for all. And I, I think, you know, in instances where you need that immediacy and that you've got the opportunity to get the, the message out, and the the cause is urgent you know, that certainly makes the selection of the medium that you're going to communicate your message th- through is determined. But I also still would hold true to the fact that the business that we're in is a relationship business and that we must uh, continue to focus on the depth of those relationships, developing understanding, um, engaging with our community, helping them to see what it is that we're doing. Because I'm certainly not going to go out into, you know, the Twitter sphere and start asking, uh, you know, folks to support, you uh, you know, the the new um, instrumentation lab at SAIT because, you know, the compelling nature of that will appeal to a very small group of people. But, you know, the medium and and the urgency and the the cause, I think, all come together to make that an appropriate way to deal with, um, you know, specific things. So not...
2: I I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. And this leads into a whole thing around relationships and the sectors, um, uh, I'll, I'll call it the elephant in the room, which is donor relations mm-hmm. and stewardship. Mm-hmm. And that whole area, which uh, when we look at the churn rates in terms of first-time donors which convert or don't convert, mm-hmm. uh, abandon the charity, maybe it wasn't the right cause for whatever reasons, or the charity, the organization is not doing a good way of providing some stewardship and and follow up, and engaging, and and trying to hug the donor, and and uh, <laughs> well,
1: I, I, I mean, th- things are shifting, that, and that's a whole
2: podcast, quite frankly, on stewardship. That, that is, and
1: in fact, I wrote it down as that that whole idea of, of what has changed with relationship fundraising, because I I agree with Brian that there's still it's still an important piece, but we had a conversation at the international level about the strategic direction of AFP, and one of the big questions in that room was. Has that changed? And if it has, how? How are millennials affecting that? So that's a whole podcast. Um, oh, yeah, so I, sure. I think we'll, we'll I think that, that, that needs to be a future one. So we'll, we'll bring, uh, bring these voices back to that. I want to um, shift the gears a bit, take it from the 40,000 foot level down to some of the things that have kind of been in the news in the last, uh, last few weeks. Um, anybody got anything they want to bring up themselves? Because I've got a few. Um, anything in the news that's really caught your eye around philanthropy? There's always something. <laughs>
2: well,
3: I, uh, I think what's fascinating to me is in the United States, with uh, you know policy shifts and whatnot, how it is that uh, philanthropy drives. Um, almost a protest uh vote in the sense that you know if you uh withdraw government support from a- par- particular cause um you've got to for
1: example
3: pick up the torch yeah and you can pick up the torch and and uh replace that that government funding through individual support and it's 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 an interesting um i think rebellion uh that 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 drives that kind of activity.
1: Yeah, that's not new in the U.S. That's a very foundational principle. I'm curious whether um, what you folks think about whether that's is is are there shades of that phenomenon in Canada or are we just that's a cultural difference that uh, that we have because clearly it's going on in the U.S.
4: Yeah, I'm working from an assumption that that I think Canadians are are responding as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a couple of pieces though that have happened as I know Canadians personally that have directed gifts to U.S. organizations in this case.
2: Bingo, uh, I, you know, I know some women in who. Canada who are, who. So,
4: yeah. who are looking at how they can expand their giving and are looking at, interesting, the U.S. as a cause mm-hmm. right now, yeah. which is a, a yeah. very different component to international giving. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's been, a global world. It's, yeah. it's advocacy philanthropy, right?
2: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, like the, the if, Planned if, Parenthood if, issue, I think, has raised uh, – I, I know some people who've, who've made contributions um, – Deliberately to Planned Parenthood in the U.S. because of the mm-hmm. policies down there, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do cut funding to NPR because if it's bleed mm-hmm. over the border here, that mm-hmm. you'll see a number of Canadians who say, "Look, uh, NPR has been part of my life for you know 20, 30 years. Uh, who wants to uh, uh, abandon uh, you know those programs?" Uh, I'm prepared to cut a check to them. And, uh, we already know they do fundraising in Canada, so I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised to see that ramp up as well. And, I, 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 I maybe I've missed it, but I haven't seen a lot of Canadian response on those kinds of, of, mm-hmm. of cutbacks or, or whatever. Um, and maybe I've just... Do you mean cutbacks in Canada, along. Ron? Well, a, a cutback, like, uh, has been talked about with Planned Parenthood and NPR in the States, which has evoked Uh, a a similar reaction in Canada so you know a a national cause here which has uh, uh, been cut off and I I just can't think of something uh, that has been engendered uh, an uh, an outpouring by Canadians to say no this is really important that we want to support it Uh, perhaps uh, uh, perhaps the issue of of um, of uh, uh, maybe there's some environmental issues around that um but i don't know uh when those causes were being investigated a few years ago for their political activity and were threats made whether that has engendered any kind of outpouring of, of of funds to them i i haven't heard that but that would be a that would be one area that i i could see that that happening but i don't know maybe you folks uh, know a little closer to it i i just haven't heard that hmm. Hey, what else I is, think we, we have the, the,
4: the immediate measurement now, um is our tools that have really only been available in the last few years too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, where, where, uh, an organization can measure what came in in the last 24 hours to support right. something and get that out in the media and by tweet is, is a brand new phenomenon. So right. I think in Canada, you know, you know we've had causes and, and issues that have that have come up, but we're more likely to rally against the government decision in Canada because we're far more government-centered in terms of the way right. we, we fund organizations. So sure. um, in the U.S., though, they're much less ingrained in, in government funding and right. ha- have a much broader uh, vision for personal philanthropy and its impact on public institutions.
1: Yeah, Ron.
3: Just I before you a, wait, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to comment on you know there was a recent example I think of a family with a daughter who needed a um, an operation surgery. I can't recall exactly the detail, but of course it was a million dollar bill to go to a U.S. you know hospital to have this particular um, life saving uh, procedure done. And you know here's another example: government's not going to fund that, but we have the means and and wherewithal to launch a crowdfunding campaign. To attract support to be able to offset such things as, you know, a medical procedure for a single individual. That, I mean, that, I, you've never seen that before.
2: No. Well, this is the new world, and this is part of the competition, yeah. and that is clearly here and now fundraising, where, yeah. uh, you know, somebody's house is burned down, they didn't have insurance, a whole bunch of those, you know, you see those, I see those, uh, frequently, and it gives mm-hmm. a citizen, a way of responding people sitting around a Tim Horton saying what can we do oh why don't we do this and bing bang boom they've got a GoFundMe page set up they then let the local media know about it as part of the story the story the media are delighted that something local is being done it's kind of a human interest story gives it some gives it some legs and uh, away it goes and meanwhile uh, you know that's you know that's a true response by people who want to make a difference, want to reach out, and do what philanthropy is about: is, is you wanting to make a difference in somebody's life. Well, it's usually a very tangible way to do that, without having to deal with a strategic plan and when our mailings go out. Okay, it's exactly. Just, that's they hear, the way they hear people respond—it's it's people wanting to respond. We live in a much faster world, and people we do. see that around them, and they say, "I want." this now. They go and buy whatever it is. Yes, they may extend their credit. They're not thinking about that. What they're thinking about is that consumer response. Why would you think that they would, they would think about philanthropy that much differently? Yes, there are wealthy people and people of means and people who've been around philanthropy for a long time, but average folks who are wanting to make a difference in their people's worlds look at that kind of opportunity and say, hey, I like that idea. Boom, I'll do something. And the, and the tax well, receipt, not as critical, could care less.
1: Exactly. So I, I'm just going to cap that off with – I heard that comment. Of, uh, there was some, some good discussion about um, – we are in a global world, but there are cultural, cultural nuances between, you say, you know, Canada and the U.S. I remember Nicholas Offord a few years ago was, was, was talking to a group of people, and somebody asked him the question – um, you know, what's the difference between philanthropy in the U.S. and philanthropy in Canada? And he said, well, he always liked to think about the founding statements. In the U.S., it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are individual freedoms. Uh, and so philanthropy, uh, you know, they, they, they do that. That Planned Parenthood thing is a, bi- a big deal. They, they, they're they not going to turn to government. What's our founding statement in Canada? Uh, peace, order, and good government, right? Mm-hmm. And so the good government piece is still there, <laughs> mm-hmm. very interesting so we've had a lot to talk about uh i i i i'm not the least bit surprised that uh that it was a wide-ranging and thoughtful conversation i'm so happy we were able to do that um is it over already pl-
2: my gosh not- I, I think we should just keep going for another hour
1: <laughs> uh, you know what ron we're going to you're going to come back and do another hour with us um but no, this- for this one we're going to we're going to we're going to close out by um i want to give folks around the table, uh, you know, we'll be inviting a lot, lots of, lots of different folks, leaders in the sector, an opportunity at the end of, uh, of each of our podcasts, um, each of the, the Brain Trust podcasts to just, you know, talk about whatever they want for a few minutes with respect to their own lives. So before I go, I want each of you to be the, a chance to tell, you know, whatever's important to you right now, you know, how do we, how do we contact you if we want to reach you or give us a plug for your Twitter or, or a cause you really care about. So maybe Brian, we'll turn to you first. Uh, anything you want to say, uh, closing comments, observations about the comments uh, the, the, oh, I the we're
3: leaving... Thanks for the opportunity. I've enjoyed this very much and I think, you know, just engaging in conversation in this format is just a true, uh, gift. I think, uh, we're very fortunate to be in this profession and in exciting times and, and, you know, I do believe that the world is a changing environment. I think we have to be very realistic as to the changing dem- demographics of Canada. Um, I love the fact that we are a welcoming, diverse, and inclusive community. Um, I think that, you know, resonates around the world, and I think Canada is a shining example. In fact, recently was, you know, voted, what, number two of the best yep. places Behind in the world? Switzerland. Behind Switzerland. Behind Switzerland. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I count myself very fortunate to be in a profession that's making a difference and to live in a country that, uh, you can do what we do.
1: Thanks, Brian. Brian, where can people reach you?
3: I am at Brian with an I. Dot Bowman at State. ca, and you can visit our website. It's our centennial year at SAIT this year. Lots of exciting things going on, and lots of information yeah. on our website. Yeah, congratulations!
1: Happy birthday! CA.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, SATE.ca. Thank you, Ron. Anything you yeah. want to tell the listening audience?
2: Well, I, I echo uh, Brian's thinking, and, and you know, at the beginning of the podcast, you talked about uh, uh, robots taking over uh, so many jobs, and and uh, and there is that that trend but you know fundraising is a contact sport and i don't think there will be many robots uh doing uh fundraising uh, especially uh with the the need to uh, reach out and touch and people wanting uh more personalization in in making a difference in people's lives rather than less so i think that uh for those who may be listening and wondering if this was the right career choice if you like working with people it's absolutely the, the, a great, uh, a great career mm-hmm. choice and a great way to, uh, to be involved and, and so on. Uh, people can reach me uh, easiest on my email, which is Ron R O N at R Bailey R B A I uh, L E Y dot C A. And um, I just want to say thanks again to uh, Betrayal for uh, taking this initiative. I think there's lots of things we can chat about. I think we talked about some good things today and. Uh, uh, I was surprised at how quickly the time went. So uh, looking forward to uh, to hearing the, the future podcasts. And I looked at the uh, list of folks you've got coming up, and I think it's going to be a, a great initiative, and people are going to get something out of it that will be worth their uh, their 45 minutes or hour of time. So,
1: So, so Ron, thank you. Uh, my most important question to you right now is uh, if we ask you to come back, will you come back?
2: oh absolutely i i uh, okay. I enjoyed the chatter as as i said this thing this went by so quickly, and it was so uh, so nicely organized and uh, interesting topics and uh, and uh, I think it's very pertinent for for folks uh, at whatever level of fundraising you 're at whether you 're you know the CEO of a national charity or whether you're you're uh, uh, studying at uh, one of the schools in Canada who are teaching uh, uh, philanthropy. I think there's lots to be uh, to be thinking about and lots to be learned. So it's a, it's a good place Thanks. for a good. Form. Brian,
1: you'll you'll come back as well. Happy to anytime, Vincent. Uh, awesome. That's awesome. Now, Scott, what do you want people to hear? What do you want to tell them?
4: Well, I, you know, I'm I, I can be reached at Scott at ca and and you know, I think if if you're listening out there, this conversation is something you could even have in your own workplace. Uh, with your team about trends and initiatives and what's happening, but at the end of the day, keep calm and renew your donors.
2: Um, <laughs> is, is that a t-shirt? Is, oh,
4: that's, that, that's a t-shirt or a coffee cup, but it's one of those things where um, there is so much happening in the world, we sometimes forget about the donors we have. So if we even yes. in the noise, we need to keep calm, renew our donors, and make sure we're doing our work in a in a really structured way because the basics have never failed an organization yeah. yet. And oh, so that's why the contact for that. So, thank you well, all, and, and thank you, Vincent, for the opportunity. And and uh, and I'm, i, I, I love what, what a
1: privilege! I, uh, I I really enjoyed the conversation. I like sitting back and listening to what you all had to say. Fantastic, thinking, uh, fantastic ideas. I want to thank each of you for joining us today, on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will tune in again next month when our panel will include Leah Eustis, Chair of the AFP Canada Foundation, Sharon Batch, a fundraising software developer from Edmonton, Bob Carter, former Chair of AFP International and Chairman of Carter, a global philanthropic consultancy, and Jocelyn Daw, CEO of JS Daw & Associates, strategists and advisors in the field of community engagement, shared value, and sustainable partnerships. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo, and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Braintrust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Braintrust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission,
2: peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.